I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. And I am so glad to have with me today Dr. Anne Stobart. She is a trained and highly experienced clinical herbalist, a designer and implementer of permaculture in the way of medicinal forests. She is host to hundreds of visitors and a teacher and a blogger. She also is the author of three books so far, (laughs) Household Medicine in 17th Century England, that's one, The Medicinal Forest Garden Handbook, and her latest book, Trees and Shrubs That Heal. And thank you so much for joining us from Devon, England. Hello. Delighted to be here. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi. So glad to have you. And you know, we met because of your book, the um, the garden, the, the medicinal garden, forest garden handbook. Um, I am, as you know, a, uh, a farmer here in the Upper Midwest in Wisconsin. And for well over a dozen years, we've been grazing cattle across our small farm, Bullbrook Keep. And it was in the course of doing my daily rotational grazings and taking a look at fence lines that I really became aware of not only all the herbaceous plants beneath my feet, but the shrubs and the trees. And I began to look at them and think, what are these things? And Why are they here? What are they good for? Well, that's where I started searching for books that might help me understand what what is the the value of these trees if you're not using them for shade or for lumber, or if you haven't got something that's fairly obvious like a cherry tree or an apple tree. And that's where I came across your book. Um, I read it and it was like lights went off for me. Because I thought, oh my gosh, I have got a treasure trove of what looks like just a bunch of trees and shrubs to the uneducated eye, the unaware eye. And so I went through your book and also learned about your online course about designing your forest garden. And that was such a wonderful introduction. You make things so approachable, so accessible, Anne. Um, and it was through, during a Zoom call that then we began our conversation, which I've been so very, very grateful for. So thank you for joining us, especially as your newest book was just introduced in the United States. It just came out uh, just a couple of weeks ago here in the U.S. And so I'm hoping that this will be the first of several conversations that we'll have around your your, the many books that you have, and particularly Trees and Shrubs That Heal. So, Anne, how did you get started with medicinal 
shrubs and trees. Most people just think of the herbaceous plants. How did this all come about? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it seems to be a whole lot of different things. I suppose um, I spend quite a lot of time under trees because I quite like the shade. But um, the reasons that, my, um, that, that I started much younger thinking about trees, I think it goes back to my, my youth. My parents, we lived in London. I went to school in London as a kid in the UK. And, and London is quite a green city. We, we started off um, not far from the Thames near Kew Gardens, the Royal Botanical Gardens at Kew, as they're called. Uh, and they're the most wonderful uh, place full of interesting historical artifacts, greenhouses, named plants and ornamental gardens and so on. And um, so we used to go around there when I was little. I think I recall falling into one of the ponds or oh. something, <laughs> something like that. But, and later on, uh, we used to go um, blackberry picking. When we moved to North London, um, Hadley Woods was just one of many green areas to the north of London. And so, uh, so in my youth, even though we didn't necessarily have any connections with farms or agriculture and the like, we, we definitely had lots of planty things. So I, I was always in love with plants. And, um, but my career started out in, in education, really, sciences, um, wow. teaching maths and science, um, psychology in, in education. And, um, and al although I always loved the plants, I didn't really realise that I could make that more of a career. <laughs> so it's mm. kind of an odd thing. The career's advice at the time was to become a, uh, a nurse or a teacher. <laughs> but um, anyway, so, so it was also a bit accidental that I came across a programme. It was a correspondence course, actually, in herbal medicine. And I jumped in feet first. And that course was run... Uh, through the National Institute of Medical Herbalists, which is the largest professional body in, in the country that supports um, clinical herbal practitioners. And so I, I then went on in the training, became a, a practitioner. I, I'm happy to talk about that more in future episodes um, about the practice here in the UK. But um, uh, uh, as a result of that, I had lots of plants in my dispensary. And some of them I realised were not... They, they were growing in hedgerows, things like hawthorn and so on. But mm -hmm. they, for my dispensary, I was purchasing um, tinctures that were coming from Europe or elsewhere. And I, I couldn't believe this. I wanted to start growing my own trees and shrubs. So it was kind of a long, uh, convoluted story, really. You know, it's so interesting because as I began studying, dipping my feet at first into the study of herbs, the herbs all around me. Um, I got acquainted with some of the books and online courses offered by some of the U.S.'s, I, what I would call very, very credible, credible master herbalists. Um, Dave Winton and Matthew uh, Wood, uh, now... Um, Rosalie de la Forêt, Ros Rosalind Gladstar, um, books that I found to be legitimate and credible because there's so much out on the internet right now. You really have to try to find those things that are backed by people who know what it is, in fact, that they're talking about. And 
many of these very respected people in the U.S. Um, credit their work in Europe, and especially in Scotland and England, with their foundation in herbalism, because your schools were so well-recognized, very solid, solid institutions. And as I was beginning my kind of work, studying work, um, I went online to see if I could actually become uh, enrolled in some of these schools and was very sad to find that some of your larger, really historic um, places had were no longer in operation. But it sounds like there has been a resurgence recently now. There certainly has, yes. Uh, it's, funny, it's funny to hear you saying about the, 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 the kind of the knowledge and um, recognition of, of the UK, because, of course, from this end of the pond, the wonderful um, stuff that's been coming out of the States, going back a few hundred years as well, mm -hmm. um, the early days um, of sort of eclectic practice and so on. So, and, and nowadays, some very um, substantial and pioneering um, operations running. So, so it's kind of kind of interesting to hear that perspective, but um, but yes, when, when when I trained, there was a school of herbal medicine which um, was um, set up and run by Heinz Elstra and some colleagues, and that was a, a significant because it established a really um, strong curriculum, which I think really is what's helped, and that um, soon after I trained became recognised by various people pushed it forward as, as a degree, um, a, a BSc Honours in the UK. And, and so it was offered at a number of universities. Well, and that's I, still... Yeah, it's that's still really available. still to happen here. <laughs> I, okay, it's still to happen. Schools. Yeah, yeah you, we have yeah. a couple of schools that are actually offering um, what would be called university degrees. Um, yeah. most, most of the schools are independent, um, and many of them are now becoming very, very rigorous, mm. uh, which is wonderful, which is absolutely wonderful. And, and you're right, you know, um, herbalism went underground uh, at the turn of the, the, the 20th century, to some extent, it was forced underground here in the United States, and is now being aggressively reclaimed. Um, so many individual practitioners, as well as these new schools that are being not only just established, but some of them are actually celebrating decades of, of uh, work. Um, they have been very aggressive in reclaiming what was uh, practiced in various parts of the country. So I think we're just all benefiting too as we kind of trade information and people across the pond. I really like that <laughs> cross-pollination so that we can actually claim and use the people's medicine, which is what is often referred to uh, here in the U.S. Although here, then there was another phase because um, fees were introduced for degree, degree courses. And so, um, in general, academic level courses have become much more vocational because people are worried about paying their fees back. And uh. at, pre at present, um, herbal medicine isn't available through the National Health Service. So what's resulted, right. is that although the curriculum has stayed um, pretty strong, 
it's um, it's kind of morphed back into private educational institutions, possibly more comparable now to the um, United States. Of course, what is interesting is that there's so much in the curriculum, materia medica, physiology, pathology, diagnostic techniques, clinical sciences, uh, and pharmacognosy, and you name it, that there isn't really space for um, time to spend on on growing um, medicinal herbs or or indeed my kind of um, obsession of trees and medicinal trees and shrubs. So um, it's just the beginning, really. And I've spoken to a number of newly qualified herb students who who, who realise, great, I can now start to um, practice as a recognised qualified practitioner, but this is just the beginning. I've got so much more to learn. And you you have so much academic training and certainly your books demonstrate and illustrate very clearly that research is a big part of how you do your work <clears throat> but you have an you have years of experience in the field describe what it is that you've done as far as um, designing and actually working to build a forest a medicinal forest well I mean the, it's been a wonderful experience um, I, as I said, I, I, I couldn't understand why I was buying imported tinctures and I started to look at the possibilities of growing my own um, herbs. And I'd already got quite a lot of experience growing vegetables on an allotment and having a garden and houseplants and all of those things. But um, my partner and I were very fortunate to buy a piece of small piece of woodland. It was actually a... Um, a redundant conifer plantation, but it was only mm. part, a small part. Of course, in England, everything is much smaller, um, beautiful, but smaller. And uh, so it was a hectare of Sitka spruce, well-established. And so I was able to actually plan um, the, the sort of regeneration of that area. We were, in the end, we took out all of the Sitka spruce um, and to start growing my own uh, medicinal plants, including both native and um, introduced trees and shrubs. Because, of course, I've always adored many of the American species, which are so useful. All right. So you've actually, so how many years did you actually operate your okay. your woodland? So we, we uh, let's see, we, we bought it, it, really the project ran from 2005 to 2020. Um, during the, the pandemic, we sold the the woodland but i've carried on in in a in various community projects um doing my thing with medicinal trees and shrubs but um so we 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 bought it as an hectare of sitka spruce long mm -hmm. straight furrows reaching down a beautiful hillside to the river torridge in north devon oh uh, beautiful very atlantic location very um traditionally very wet uh, not so cold in the winter, although sometimes snowy, and um, uh, fairly uh, acidy soil. So we, mm. we we started off in 2005, and we were fortunate to find some sympathetic um, forestry people who were able to take out the Sitka spruce, and we started to plant. But I had a design on the back of a <laughs> back of an envelope design, which was based on permaculture principles, because I had done some training in permaculture, which um, has important ethical 
um, principles of things must be or should be planned to be good for people, good for the planet, and also enable um, reinvesting um, benefits or resources. And permaculture draws on uh, following nature, really, particularly young woodland. So a lot of permaculture projects are known as forest gardens because they're about um, woodland uh, sites, but you, usually woodland sites with um, trees and shrubs growing together in, in harmony and lots of edges and lots of careful thinking about um, water management, soil management, um, and so on. So I was able to use all of those principles. And what I thought of initially as a medicinal woodland actually became something magical, which we ended up calling a medicinal forest garden. And people would come and visit because they wanted to know how we did it and what we were doing and see how we were harvesting and maintaining um, the whole area. And we, we actually had so much produce. It was like a bonanza. Um, we had to start thinking about ways more than just using the herbs with my patients, but also making body care products and, and such like. Oh, then we've got loads to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> because um, what I've started working with here is simply with what I had. I began to identify, oh, that's a wild cherry and that's a wild apple. And I've got 10,000 alders, speckled alders growing by the brook. Um, we've got lots of aspen, uh, almost no birch, but pine, various kinds of pine as well. And many, many, many hawthorn. And we've got other trees as well. But when those trees began to have an identity, um, then I would do the research and find out medicinally what they could be used for. Because I thought, hey, people used to use what they had. And this is what I've got. So it's really, um, my, my aim is really to foster what is native to my area as well. And that's what I truly love about your approach. Uh, it's not like trying to grow a banana tree in the middle of Wisconsin. Permaculture is about learning what will do well with the least amount of work uh, associated interference with it. But the idea of a permaculture and herbal medicine, have you found that that's a, a concept that people readily accept or does, do people kind of lift their eyebrow and wonder, what's that about? I think, I think people, I think the common thing is that, that permaculture and herbal medicine are sustainable that they are somehow valuing the plant resources of our planet and the, the potential benefits. What, what surprises me is how unaware people are of the potential benefits, how just ordinary common trees around us, like the hawthorn, can be so um, helpful to our health. In fact, hawthorn so well researched as beneficial for the circulation mm -hmm. that it's not advisable to use it this is the flowers and the fruit, flowers and leaves and the fruits. It's not advisable to use it if somebody is on any medication for blood pressure because it can effectively enhance the effects um, beyond a desired uh, sort of limit. So, so it's kind of shocking that people, maybe people do have an idea that, that there's something out there, but they don't know where to begin or how to identify the 
the relevant plants, which parts to use, when to harvest, how, how they could be beneficial and what's safe. Um, so those were the things that after I had sort of been doing my own thing as a herbal practitioner, I wanted to spread a bit, bit of missionary zeal here. I wanted to spread that word um, and give people more kind of tools, information to help them to connect uh, with those wonderful, wonderful things uh, called trees. That's why the, the, the latest book is called uh, Trees and Shrubs That Heal and the subtitle is Reconnecting with the Medicinal Forest because I do feel that people need more confidence as well as knowledge to, to make, um, make use, uh, as not just safe use, but sustainable use of those plants. So is there a, a scale at which designing a medicinal forest will work and won't work? I mean, do you have to have many hectares or many, many acres in order to start to implement any of this? That's such a brilliant question because uh, how can I put it? I, I, I guess we, we started off with a hectare, much too much for, for my needs. And mm. uh, I could have done what we did really with a tenth of the space and um so so there can be i mean there can be economies of scale thinking about commercial supplies of herbs um perhaps so that um wild harvesting which is putting pressure on populations can can be um less uh risky for those plants so we we could be looking at um greater scale production and 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 in a profitable sense and also in the best quality from people who are growing in the best way but but also we can do so much more i've got a little cottage garden out the back of this um 16th century cottage in devon in, in the uk and i'm growing i don't know about 20 different kinds of tree species and innumerable other um, plants and herbs and that's probably a space about uh well 10 or 20 meters square. So although I have to confess, I do quite a lot of coppicing and pollarding and pruning um, to manage the, those plants in that space. But actually that oh. works quite well because that means I'm <laughs> it does. Well, we're going to get into coppicing and pollarding in a future conversation because we accidentally did that here on my farm. Uh-huh. We, we went to, to cut back. Uh, my husband was lopping off a cherry it, that was in the wrong place, you know, like a weed. Um, yeah. And we ended up creating multiple trees coming from the root, which is now what I use for one of my uh, cherry tinctures and preparations. I've got other cherry prunus uh, species on the land with different kinds of um, aromas even. And so it was done by accident, but you can tell us how we can do it, <laughs> I think, deliberately in order to get a lot out of a small space. And when I, when I talk to the, the, the students that I have coming to my farm, because what I'm conducting now are herbal safaris, which are really guided mm -hmm. explorations. This is what's possible. This is what you may find. This is, this is a pine tree. Look at it. Think of it. Take a photo of it. Now, do you have one in your own yard? So we're really kind of doing that kind of 
of exploration on my farm. After people take a look at, you know, books and they take a look at um, YouTube videos, my invitation is get up close and personal so that you can try to identify what's in your own backyard. And it is amazing how much you can fit into a city lot. So just to kind of make it comparable here in the U.S., the city lot usually is about 40 feet, 60 feet wide by 60 feet deep, something like that. There is a heck of a lot that you can do in that space. I know because before I was a farmer, I lived in the city, uh, in the city of uh, St. Minneapolis, and then again in St. Paul, Minnesota, small city lots where a lot, a lot can grow. And a lot is already growing that you can now begin to recognize. So you are also doing, we're kind of wrapping up here now uh, in our first conversation. Uh, you've got those three books out, but you're also doing <clears throat> blogging now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. <laughs> so I I suppose I've, I've always been used to writing science reports. My my uh, The handbook is full of references. The, the most recent book, you can download the references for free. There wasn't space in, in the book. And so... So I wanted to kind of spread my wings a bit and and write more extensively about all the experiences I've had. So I've kind of reinvented myself as uh, the medicinal tree woman and started a stubs, well, um, a Substack newsletter. Um, and uh, in it, I'm going to be writing about the things we've been talking about, the design, the permaculture. I'll bring in some of my historical research, which is something I hope we'll talk about soon, and um, and and also start gathering material on on recipes using trees and shrubs because I think this is a growing area. <laughs> forgive the yes, forgive the quote, but um, this is something that more and more people are are literally becoming interested in. They want more information, more suggestions. So that's a free um, subscription newsletter. Although if people want to support the Medicinal Forest Garden Trust, which is the website I um, have online, then they can take up a paid subscription as well. All right. So if they go to Substack or Google, you know, they're looking for Medicinal Tree Woman. Or Substack and Stobart.com. All right. Well, thank you. All right, Ian. Believe it or not, we've wrapped up our first conversation. And I'm, the looking to the, and I'm looking to the others in our series. Now, <clears throat> as we go down through it, you're going to be talking about the medicinal trees of North America. We'll do another conversation of those that are in the UK. Then we will have a conversation around the safety and research in herbal medicines. And finally, designing that forest garden with permaculture. So I am just so excited about this series and I look forward to our next conversation. And Stobart, thank you so much for joining us. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks. <laughs>